be full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Welcome to the Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. With me this week is is uh somebody's missing. Yeah, we're experiencing some difficulties here. Jamin has died a little bit. Yeah, I mean, aren't just we all dead? Yeah, he's just uh, ish. Yeah, he's dead ish. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So he'll maybe he'll rise. Be, Maybe he'll rise again in three days. That happens this time of year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, there's a mm-hmm. there's a spell for it that nobody ever casts successfully. They always forget a, a detail. Oh, but what is the what is the spell? I guess it's worth a try. Yeah, well, I think you're you're supposed to either drink Tabasco sauce, chipotle Tabasco sauce, uh-huh, or uh-huh. pour it over the body. Okay, and then get a cat suit uh-huh. using a discount code. Or Forever 21. What about if you have one for Wet Seal? Does that work? Wet Seal? Like Wet's- a, is that like a cat suit sort of thing? or <laughs> No, it's a, it, it's a clothing store. No, um, no it, has, it has to be Forever 21. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, or the ritual doesn't work. Okay, Fitzer's Gifts? No, definitely not. It's totally oh, okay. a different chain. Right. Is it a different okay. chain? I think it's a different chain. Someone like got halfway there but screwed up everybody screws up the discount code part and mm-hmm. jamin sat up along with his many attendees and and said thou foolish knave no dumber white draws breath beneath the golden sun thou drank the sauce but bought the suit from spencer's not forever 21 <laughs> nobody gets it right no it's terrible there are just centuries of people Failing to resurrect Jamin. Yeah, hot topic. People often try the hot topic. For centuries. Um, given, yes. Given the hot sauce, they get I, confused. I didn't know that it was Eduard- Edwardian as a period. <laughs> so, okay, so we failed again. So what happens now? Does Jamin stay dead until he sees his shadow? Or No, that's, that's the groundhog, I guess. I didn't know he was dead, though. Is the groundhog not dead? That's not a resurrection story. Well, the first ground dog is probably dead. <laughs> Actually, one would hope. <laughs> Brains! <laughs> okay, so Jamin's going to stay dead for a little bit longer. Yeah. Okay. We have some filler material. <laughs> okay, so we have exactly what Jamin provides, yes. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded catty. I know, and I didn't mean it to. I'm, it's because I'm wearing the, I'm wearing I'm wearing a cat suit, so I felt like, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, we spent the last weekend at HavenCon, an Austin LGBTQ question mark hashtag gaming and fantasy culture convention, where they let us talk about demonology for writers, and it was a lot of fun. It was this, it was super super fun. And I would yeah. say, yes, let let us talk about our favorite topics. Yeah. Our favorite, our hot topics. Although, before we do that, did anybody bring anything to the party? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, because we were talking about demons for writers, I brought a drink called Writer's Block because I feel like demons are the perfect antidote to 
struggling with your creative process. Maybe not the perfect. An mm, option. An option, let's say. They it, are an option. Does it start start with one shot glass of India ink? <laughs> you know, actually, that would be pretty interesting. Is India ink toxic? You could do squid ink. It's just kind of fishy. Yeah, that's that. That could. I think a lot That'd of writers are fishy. So disgusting it's, and foul. Yeah, a lot of you know, a lot of writers are disgusting. Foul. Anywho, um, thank, thank you. <laughs> I'm in a mood today. I have no idea what's happening. I think because I don't have Jamin to kind of, I don't know, balance to, you out. Yeah, I suppose so. Like it's just, uh, it's it's all. It's everything's out of whack. So, writer's block is one and one half ounce Di Serrano amaretto, not the pizza, not DiGiorno, as I always want to call it. One and a half ounces does, of bourbon. <laughs> does DiGiorno make an, an almond liqueur? <laughs> you know, they might. Uh, I don't think we would want to drink it. And I also don't think that we would want to. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'd want to do Serrano pizza. But yeah, delivery or DiGiorno, neither probably is a good option for your almond liqueur. I'll buy that. Okay. One and a half ounce bourbon, a juice of half a small lemon, two good shakes of Angostura bitters, and two ice cubes. Ice cubes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ice cubes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's very delicious. I don't know if it hasn't really, hasn't really unblocked anything, though. Drink two more. I guess, yeah. That's yeah. the that's always the solution. That's always the right choice. It's the Hemingway method. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, I wasn't sure if anybody was bringing food, so mm -hmm. I, I brought some. Okay. Um, avocado on a stick. Uh, that's mm, that looks a little bit like deodorant. It does. It does. It's like a little like push pop of <laughs> avocado oh that you turn a screw. And it spreads on toast. Oh, why? Why would somebody do that? I, I think they were making fun of millennials. Oh, for the love of God. It's repulsive. How often does somebody actually confuse this with deodorant? Once. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is bright green and chunky. Okay, second. Okay, say you mistake it for deodorant once. Turns out it's actually really potentially good deodorant uh -huh. what then do you you get these green stains on your shirt <laughs> that are just very difficult to explain oh what that is just and never never with a tank top no and how do you keep it from turning brown i think you use do it you very quickly to... i guess it seems like you have to do you have to there's a lot of rubbing that has to happen to actually get the amount of avocado that you would want on your toes. Well, maybe you could seal it up with like a, a seal. That is a stupid sentence. And then like there'll a, be less to turn brown. I guess? Like a, I don't well, know. Yeah, I don't either. Anyway, I, I feel in this <laughs> in, in my memories of Jaman now that he's dead, I, I want him to share this with us. Maybe we could get some to go put um, around his. Okay, so where is he buried again? I know there are several places that oh, Glastonbury people, Tour, I assume. Are we sure? No. Okay. He may yeah. just be under that pile of laundry in the other room. Because <laughs> I've heard, I've heard tell like. 
there are lots of places where Jamin could be buried. Like, yeah. I think we may need to take a boat to one of them. I feel and... like Francis Bacon's grave is really unlikely. Yeah, that's we could probably rule that one out. But yeah, so it's a good homage to our to our unresurrected friend. Yeah. I brought I I was kind of lazy and I just brought Pringles, man. Pringles? I just brought Pringles. Yeah. What what flavor? Pringle, Pringle flavor. flavor. <laughs> okay. Cuz they were the they were the I I that was that was the sustenance that I had when we did our talk, and you were very gracious to procure Pringles for me. Right, right. So had little, little individual sealed tubs, mm-hmm. pringlet, tubs of Pringlets, which and are I was, the best for the environment. So, so grateful was I to have those Pringles to be mm-hmm. blessed with the manna of the gods that I brought some to pay it forward. I do like a good Pringle. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, maybe they'd be pretty good with this, like if we. I don't know how they would stand up to vigorous rubbing with your avocado stick, but we can give it a go. Pringles break if you look at them funny. That's true. Like, if yeah. you play a flute near them, they shatter. It's kind of weird. Maybe if you, like, rub the avocado stick on your tongue and then shove some Pringles in your cheek pouches. Yeah, cheek pouches. <laughs> <laughs> Did you- you don't, don't have know. cheek pouches? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I Is do it have, just me? I do have some entertainment, though. <laughs> okay. For our amusement, a great and wicked three-headed, long-boned hellhound will maul wastrels with its fangs, driving them down the great brimstone-covered mountain of those who pervert the gospel. Oh, wow. This is okay. a chase sequence. Yeah, so the long bones add a additional that that adds like a picturesque. Yeah, kinda. It, it seems very awkward. Like, uh-huh, it like just whoop, look whoop, kind of painful whoop, and disjointed. Whoop, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and what was it the the hillside of the those who pervert the gospel? What was the what was the geographical feature of those who pervert the gospel? Uh, the mountain of those who the pervert mountain. The gospel. Okay. Yeah. So okay. It's like the forest of suicides or something like that. Okay, okay. Because yeah. perverting the gospel can mean a variety of things. It could be, may, say, turning it into a Mad Lib. Or like a Mel Gibson sort of thing. <laughs> There's some fun hell-adjacent news. Okay. I'm not sure it's really hell news. It's occult news. Mm-hmm. That is that there is a McDonald's campaign... It's times of uncertainty and discomfort, and they're trying to alleviate the discomfort with comfort food and prophecy. (laughs) As they will offer a certain number of people a tarot reading with their meal. I have uh, have questions. questions, I have at least three questions about this. Um, The the future will always bring heartburn. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe, like, Diabetes, hypertension. Maybe, um, maybe we don't. You don't always mention the dark side of things in a tarot reading. That's true. That's true. It's that's absolutely true. Um, yeah. Okay. So, who is doing the tarot reading? Madam Adam. Madam Adam. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. So, Madam Adam's Instagram. So, is Madam Adam a real person? Is he's got a video? Or they? They've got a video. Okay, I'm going to have to watch the video. Yeah, you'll have to watch the what video. What are Madam Adam's credentials? Um, 
when did you ever need credentials to be an internet psychic? Fair. Yeah. Okay, so is McDonald's trying to position itself as the anti-Chick-fil-A? By dipping heavily into the New Age movement and hiring a gay medium? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> maybe. I. This makes me, I don't know. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? I was a little surprised by the article. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel it's probably not a national campaign, but like maybe a regional one did this for fun in collaboration with Madam Adam, mm -hmm. perhaps. But also, I think that the last two years have really emphasized kind of story-driven marketing and quirky storytelling and things like that. So maybe now is the time. We were very bored for the last three years. Bored and also terrified. It's been and a strange conversation combination. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I guess that's how you know soldiers feel in war. It's like <laughs> long periods of boredom interrupted with terror. And given that uh, there were, and I think probably still are, a lot of people uh, turning their practice towards uh, political causes, specifically to get Trump out of office. Um, there's real concern, and I think we talked about this in the Republican Party, that witchcraft was on the rise and that, that Republicans were being targeted. So I like this <laughs> because of that message that it sends, but it's also, it's it's very, I mean, it's all marketing, right? So Yeah, I don't want to say it's normalizing the occult because it's very strange. No, it's very strange. It's sort of like, do you remember, oh my gosh, this is a this is a throwback, but this... I remember this from you, when you and I worked at that big place we used to work at, but there was that Burger King campaign. I think it was Burger King where they had like this kind of murder murder basement where Burger King was. Yeah. And you would tell him to do things. That's ringing bells. I must have repressed it. Because <laughs> it doesn't, it seems like rat, like David Lynch's rabbits. But it was with the Burger King, and it was uncanny, you know, how accurate it was what he would respond to. I think it was Burger King. So, with substantial Googling, we get to the point where we, we, have, we have found that this is the subservient chicken campaign from 2004. Yes, 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 yes. And for and homework, let's, let's go on a deep dive on this together for homework for the next episode. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I think that's a great idea. And I think maybe we should just also try to f figure out how to work this into our presentations for our morbid anatomy class, too. <laughs> kind of just like Rick rolling. Um, we just throw in some subver <laughs> subservient chicken. <laughs> yes. every, every chance you get mentioned subservient chicken. Maybe we can figure out our own way to do it. I mean, this is... <gasps> If we can't resurrect Jamin, maybe this, if we could resurrect him enough to receive commands through some kind of, I don't know, wirelessly connected device. Well, we're, we're in the circle of the inglorious. I think that forcing him into an ad campaign is probably like we just have to requisition that. Okay, well, let's do that. I think that's, I think that's, a, I think that's a great way to Ease fill him in back this into interim. the land of living. Yeah, yeah, because it's going to be hard for him, and we want him to, you know, we want him to, we want him to succeed. Yeah, <laughs> we want this to. We want to feed uh, two cats with one bowl here. 
Well, on to the topic at hand ish. <laughs> um, we had a we had a presentation at HavenCon 2022. Uh, it mm-hmm. was uh, Brimstone Vellum: A Writer's Guide to Demons. A little bit sexier than not. It was kind of you know children gently discouraged. Not that there were any at this event, and uh, it was a pretty good camp. A pretty good panel. We talked for about an hour and a half. Had lots of questions and answers. Nice full crowd. The audio is not great, although I feel like I say that a lot uh, because it was a combination of uh, a camcorder and Victoria's cell phone. <laughs> oh, bad audio. Mm-hmm. There's one point in the audio where uh, everything is punctuated with a loud rapping sound, and that's when I was violently tapping the table with my finger <laughs> in, in time with my words. When was that? Was that when... It was, you- <laughs> was towards the end. I had something I wanted to emphasize. Anyway, During oops. your manifesto. Yeah, you yeah. had that. You, that things got a little weird there. Yeah. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. I feel like since there's most of an audio studio somewhere in the bottom level of my house, we should have had freaking microphones. Next time. Do you have a, should we, uh, do you have lavalier mics? Um, no, but I have a number of desktop mics that aren't bad at all. Okay. I, yeah, I don't like lavalier mics anyway. Uh, yeah, we need to just remember that this technology exists and this is a problem that's been solved. <laughs> anyway, uh, enjoy enjoy this. I think it's it's still podcast audio quality, um, and we will have the video up on this episode's uh, little subpage thing. So you're welcome to go and see the visuals that went with this. Uh, I've even added some visuals to this slide. Uh, <gasps> I added what? new visuals to this because I really wanted to like show some points we were talking about, and um, I didn't like the way my chin looked. Oh. <laughs> What's wrong with your chin? It's 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 over 45. <laughs> oh, but I mean, you have, I don't know, I, ha- I don't have, I have a very long kind of horsey slash ghoulish face. <laughs> so you have a strong chin. It's aspirational. <laughs> anyway, shall we let the people get to it? Yeah, yeah. Let us know what you think. And uh yeah, we're always happy for happy for questions, feedback, follows, friendship. Wind, fire, all that good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess we'll see you in hell. Bye. Bye bye. I really like the idea of a demon that's only like see I'm like occasionally oh I've been a demon for ten thousand years. Like, I would like one that's just been like a demon for like six months. It's like yeah, get into it, it's going well, I got the I don't think we actually talked about Zozo. He's really recent. Uh, it's X0X0. He's the demon of the Ouija board. And about 15 years ago, he turned up on kind of a creepypasta uh, internet legend sort of thing. When you're playing Ouija and your hands are just idling, it drifts between a couple of things. And apparently, the author of that creepypasta decided that Abba was not actually frightening. XOXO is. Um, so yeah, look for the demon Zozo. He's, he's very recent, actually. But kind of comes from the family of the Bloody Mary party games where you stare in a mirror and chant Bloody Mary through the party yeah. games. Do we think we want to start? I think we can start. Are you all ready to start? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, um, so there will be penises. We've already been over that. We're not talking about real demons today. Sort of we are. Um, this is not an occultist panel. This is more for writers and gamers and things like that to enrich your knowledge, make more realistic or informed or divergent creatures from this kind of rich ecosystem. So if you're interested in like talking about how do I summon Pazuzu, we can have that conversation later. Mm-hmm. I may not have answers. <laughs> That's perfect.
I will have hand gestures. After times. <laughs> All stories are true. These demons go back 3,000 years. We do not always agree on things. Sometimes Lucifer is this bound and chained thing in a dungeon with 16 arms and a thousand legs. Other times he's kind of this hot Renaissance uh, romantic figure. Mm-hmm. This is all true. All of it's true. Everything is true. That's our assumption. Uh, so we're going to start with some important questions. What is a demon? It varies. So early on, when you go before kind of Christianity and late pre-BC Judaism, demons are, they partake of divinity. They're divine-ish creatures but usually not as big as a god. We don't worship it. That makes it a demon instead of a god. That's like one of the big defining characteristics. It's not a god because we don't worship it. They tend to be used in magic to curse people or to chase off other demons. More recently, post-Christianity, post-like 300 Christianity, demons are things that oppose God and do terrible things to humanity. But if you know the right names, you can sometimes control them. Yep. Um, there's a very ambivalent relationship there. So this, this, is, a, yeah, this is a quote from Pandemonium, which they... Uh, a recent book on the illustrated history of demonology is a really pretty book. Uh, these are from the author's Principles of Demonic Poetics. Ooh. That is a s- not, not safe for okay. one if I continue okay, to do this. <laughs> so right. demons are symbol sets. They're metaphors. They're in- images that interact with each other. Concepts of individual demons shift over time in dramatic ways across the centuries. Uh, as symbols, demons can mean varying things to varying people, sometimes very contradictory things. And there's no difference between the occult, real demon, and the literature about the demon. The line between literature and the magical is, is non-existent. Same thing. If you go back 3,500 years to... Who's the guy? Um, to... The guy. 3,500 <laughs> years ago. Oh, that one guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the king. Jerry. The king. Oh, Solomon? No. Um, <laughs> he... he, 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 uh, he hot... Hot King? Yes. Hot King? 3,500 years ago. No. Oh, uh, I can't remember. He dated a Minotaur. Oh, Midas? No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, Gilgamesh. 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 The demons oh, described right. there, that's, okay. that, the same demons occur like in Hollywood movies now. They go way back. And the difference between literature and myth and real occult, 3,500 years ago, there is no difference. Okay. Demons are both divine and infernal. They're, they partake of God in sort of a dark image of God. They're a part of the world of the sacred. That's interesting. To understand demonology, you also have to kind of understand world history. Demons are very active when there's religious strife. The three biggest periods in our history for exorcisms and cases of possession are the year 300-ish, when Christianity was persecuted, the year 1600, when Christianity was persecuting Christians, and now, <laughs> this is one of the biggest times for exorcism we've ever experienced. Demons in world history go hand in hand, or laws. <laughs> <laughs> Are demons evil? The answer is, it varies, I think. It always kind of is, the answer is, it varies. Mm-hmm. So the ancient pagans would say, no, demons aren't particularly evil. They're just as evil as our gods. Have you seen our gods? The 5th century <laughs> apologists might say, they, they're not evil because they serve God and God is good. There's an interesting dichotomy there. I think the ancient Jews agree with this as well. Demons are here to make our lives difficult, <laughs> to, to train us, to stress us, to show kind of what the other side is. And they work with God hand in hand. They're not evil. They're the dark servants of God. This is a fairly common image across the years. Sometimes they're the bad guys out to sabotage God's creation and destroy everything. You corrupt us. Okay, that's fine. Most occultists would say they're useful tools. 
a lot of these demonology books, they read like the spell section of the player's handbook. Really don't. And today, I think we might say they're kind of the bad boys. They're rebels against a tyrannic deity. Mm-hmm. Uh, some modern demonologist types might say they're cuddly familiars that will guide us along our road to something resembling self-discovery. I don't know. There's a lot of different opinions. The answer of are demons evil is tricky. Mm-hmm. But they're usually rebellious. <laughs> they're frequently selfish, self-centered. They can be cruel, even if they're anti-heroes or heroes or whatever. So also, they can be household helpers or protectors. So if you accept the fact that fairies are fallen angels and therefore demons, there's a whole host of different kinds of fairies, including things like brownies and pixies and knockers, which are fantastic. Does anybody know about knockers? They're pretty mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're uh-huh. But they like eat people's sandwiches in the mines. In, in Wales and Cornwall and in the U.S. when the Welsh and the Cornish came over to build the mines. The world of fairies, the dead, and demons just drifts into mm-hmm. each other. There's, there's like the seamless blur between the categories the further back you go. Mm-hmm. But knockers also would knock on the walls to point out tin veins for miners to go after and also to warn them of mine collapses because oftentimes they were deceased miners. So, but also a lot of these fairies slash demons are associated with various tasks like brewing or agriculture or mining, for example. And so therefore became a part of a household that would be beneficial to the family that it protected generation after generation. Occasionally they would turn against you if you treated them badly or they would leave you when you gave them a sock. So kind of transactional demonology goes through the 1800s. Yeah, so they're very interesting characters that can be used in a variety of ways. So what do demons look like? Well, kings, magic star people, dragons, guys on bears, bears on guys, your last boyfriend, he's a musician. He loves Um, better than Ezra. Creepy face butt green guys, red Peter Pan, goats, goat guys, angels, I see off for light red flags. <laughs> Where did giant flies go? Uh, fire-breathing wolves, hot lion dudes, whatever this is, whatever that is. Peter Gabriel. Things I can't show mom, giant flies, toilet guys, and Bure. Um, we love Bure. I love Bure. Can it even be safe? This is a very writer-gamer question. And I wanted to include this early on because I think it's kind of an important question for... Your personal, oh, hello, your personal fiction. The answer is complicated. You save a lot. Humans can be saved because humans have changeable bodies and we're mortal. We're creatures of time. Stop me if this starts being strange. Demons and angels are immortal. They have bodies that reflect their unchangeable nature. They may or may not have free will, but their forms show a true reflection of who they are. And so if they could not be demons, they wouldn't be demons, except for that one time when they all fell. So I think this logic kind of falls apart there. Some demons only fell a little bit. They were like on the edges of the crater that Lucifer made when he plowed through. And maybe they can get redeemed on the last day. We don't know. Some demons believe they can become <coughs> angels again. But the source material says this is not credible. And some seem to be angels and demons at the same time, like most angels of death kind of fall in that department. The real answer, though, is probably it's your story, your characters. So hard to answer. Mm-hmm. What's with all these love spells? Hmm. So demons are ways frequently of working with spells and magic. There's this concept of the law of magical names, which gives something a name, you have power over it, you control it. It is very helpful to assign an entity to a concept or a spell, that sort of thing. 
There are an awful lot of love spells. That's just one of the most popular forms of magic. It's up there with giving horrible skin conditions to my enemies. To manatees? Giving horrible skin conditions to manatees. Okay. <laughs> All right. Demon love magic can range from... Love is really the wrong word. It's usually more like... Lust? Uh, slavery, you know, something like that. <laughs> it's kind of non-consensual. Um, they range from like happiness and love between a man and his wife to magically binding a woman and torturing her until she forces you to serve her sexually. So kind of stalkery. Yeah, it gets really stalkery. But the number of love spells in the late Middle Ages, it kind of makes necromancers seem like weird incel people that sacrifice birds, <laughs> which may or may not be accurate. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that brings us to my first friend, Sotobokris. Mm-hmm. This is a demon, maybe. He's maybe an angel, depending on who you ask. He's described as having a body that's formed of silver or shimmering light. He's got six servants, all of which are magic star people. Shimmering light, snow, that sort of thing. They're all categorized as devoted to love, lust, pleasure, harmony, gifts of chocolate, and voluptuousness. I kind of see him as like a sparkly angel version of Frankenfurter. That works for me. And unlike most love magic, some of their stuff comes across as encouraging real slow-burning love. And they don't make it into mainstream demonology because it's not that entertaining. So they're not really out there if you're looking at stories of dark and evil demons. On the other end of the spectrum, we have Dominus Pinarum. There's almost nothing known about him, although I do have his game stats. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He appears in one love spell, love spell, quote-unquote. He's from Jupiter, so kingship and rulership and authority. And his spell... Breaks someone's will, binds them like a spirit, torments them until they relent. It's really super duper nice. This is like the worst Hot. love as I know. <laughs> One of the worst like love as mind control spells out there may actually be typical of this kind of magic. I don't know. I'm only going off third hand sources like the dictionary there. But he's pretty awful. And it's just a nice extreme there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can demons have sex? Short answer, yes. We're going to discuss this in detail, I suspect. Um, remember, every story that's ever written was true. Uh, so in the Garden of Eden, you have Adam and Eve and Lilith, Adam's first wife in some versions, and her boyfriend, Samuel. Samuel also seduces Eve and gives birth to Cain. No, Samuel does not give birth to Cain. Eve gives birth to Cain. Yes. And mm-hmm. Samuel's third, fourth, and fifth wives, the three demons of sacred prostitution, later on go and sleep with Solomon and give birth to Asmodeus, demon mm-hmm. prince of lust, who probably has stories himself. Demons can have sex. One of the big demon stories is the Watchers or the Grigori. These were angels that came to Earth a long, long time ago and immediately slept with the humans there after giving them the gifts of knowledge, weaponry, and cosmetics. Very important. Um, so they had kids. They had giant kids, the Nephilim. There's a lot of sex stories in the witches' sabbats trials of the 16th century. So if it's an illegal document case, it must be true. Then uh, there's a succubus and incubus. That's kind of like weird dream sex. I'm not sure it counts. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do demons have bodies? The world goes back and forth on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, in ancient history, we get maybe in stories, but they can't affect the real world with their magic powers. Ultimately, the best body for a demon is your body. Their <laughs> possession is like one of the oldest demon stories that goes way back. In the medieval, in the medieval period, they're described as airy spirits, which is not quite as good as fiery spirits. So they have just enough like oomph to like do some like move a pencil or something like that. Although some of them have earthly bodies, which means they can presumably reproduce with humans. I don't know. Uh, in the late medieval, early modern period, of course they don't have bodies. They're creatures of thought. And yet the devil has an icy phallus that he uses to hump witches. And succubi can steal men's semen and have babies with other people. 
1975, the devil was dancing in a San Antonio nightclub. Yes. So there, they still mm-hmm. have bodies. So it depends. Always depends. I was too young to go to that party. I'm so sorry. It I, was, I hear I've got newspaper I was eight. about it. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I was zero. Um, <laughs> do demons have gender? Mostly no, or it's optional. The assumption across the entire 16th century is the gender neutral he, which is not really a thing. So you get a situation where uh, Ishtar Inanna Astarte turns into the demon Astaroth and becomes male for no clear reason. There are a few demons that are highly gendered. Uh, Lilith is very female. She's kind of the avatar of things men are afraid of about women. Lots of good stories about her. Uh, Samuel is male. He seduces Eve and has children with the four demon queens of dying prostitution, and God castrates him. If gender is an option, you can't castrate someone. That's, that's an opinion I have. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes he and Lilith do something that's compared to Leviathan's humping. So, hey... That's a graphic image. What? What? Hold up. What does that mean? <laughs> so, okay. So there's a story in the, in the, in like the, the pseudopigraphia, something, something uh-huh. where there's a male and female Leviathan. Okay. And they're going to reproduce and over in the world with Leviathan. Sure. Um, so God, God castrates the male. Okay. Or St. Michael castrates the male. I don't mm-hmm. know. This is tied to Mesopotamian story. Mm-hmm. But Lilith and Samuel are analogized to the Leviathan and Behemoth. Okay. And uh-huh. so then the whole castration story carries forward, but also they're described as something like Leviathans. Okay. Okay. So this kind of led to the Nine Inch Nails song. What? <laughs> <laughs> Some of y'all get that. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Karaoke, right? When I'm older. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Do demons have babies? Lilith and Samael had babies. There's a group of angels called the Watchers that had babies. <laughs> There are weird, sad, half-demon <laughs> things called cambions. They look like Bob Newhart. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like a desiccated cabbage patch. Yeah. Uh, like an actual kid from cabbage. <laughs> the, half, the half-demon babies, they're called cambions. They're exactly the same as change. The same myth, the same stories, the same babies left out in the forest to die. That's sick little things. But yes, demons can't have babies depending on who you ask. Okay. Should my character sleep with the demon? This is really up to you. Since every variation of sex with demons has come up, yes, your character can sleep with a demon. Or if your character is a demon, he, can, he or she can sleep with other people, obviously. Do they enjoy it is a different question. The medievals would say, no, sex is a tool for demons to corrupt people. It's probably a writer's call. Mm-hmm. If I was developing a fiction around this, I would say that demons do have gender, they have the equipment, they have the abilities they need to meet their goals, but not their partner's goals, their goals. And sometimes their goals are power, debasement, corruption, temptation, all that sort of thing is very uncanny for them. There may be stories of fulfilling consensual relationships between demons and humans. I don't know of any. Actually, I do know of any. Those six billion demons, excellent graphic novel. Also true. All true. All stories Mm -hmm. are true. Mm -hmm. But I don't download many of those stories. I have a question. Yes. So I have a theory that some of this talk of demons having sex with humans is wish fulfillment, potentially, because people are potentially interested in exploring that darkness. What do you think about that? Well, there are an awful lot of stories about priests having sex with demons, Mm -hmm. and I think that's priests trying to find an out from having had sex with a nun who probably slept with a incubus and yep. had a child that's right. specifically mm-hmm. not the priest's child 
Although because the succubus, <laughs> right. oh, no, no, no. The succubus yes. slept with the priest mm-hmm. in a dream and magically whisked his semen away to the incubus who slept with the nun, the baby still looks kind of like this priest. <laughs> God, it's, it's like, have you seen that moral oral episode? No. <laughs> okay, I'm making a note. Nine Inch Nails. Moral oral. Moral oral if I've got the show canceled. <laughs> Search for this on your work computer. Yes. Okay. Are we? Leonard. 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 Okay. He looks silly and his name is Leonard. Do not, <laughs> do not be confused. This is actually, in some versions, the number two demon in hell. Lucifer's personal assistant. He also goes by the name Lucifuge Rockefeller. He is the grandmaster of the witch's Sabbath and master of orgies. When the devil appears in an orgy and humps a witch in the trial with his ICIC devil phallus, it's Leonard, usually, because Satan doesn't have time for that. Yeah. Leonard does have time. He's a very giving person. He's very goady. He can also turn people into monstrous animals and let men fly around. Uh, he gets his butt kissed an awful lot, literally and metaphorically. Um, he's a symbol of sexual perversion and corruption, and Lucifer's administrative assistant, and his name is Leonard. <laughs> In conclusion, Leonard. Leonard. Any, any fans of Sandman, the comic series? Yes. Uh, in Sandman, The Dreaming, the recent spinoff from about five years ago, there's a bunch of running jokes where they make fun of Leonard. It's kind of spirited but he's a better demon than that. Yes. On the subject of using demons as spell components, we get to the Guesha. Uh, this is a pretty common term, and I don't think everybody necessarily knows what it means. The Guesha are a list of 72-ish demons, give or take. And what defines them and kind of unifies them is they're good for spells. Like all of these demons, you'll find um, one of them is good for summoning treasure. Another is good for discerning lies. They all have different magical characteristics. And the only unifying thing about them is they're kind of descended from the Testament of Solomon, which we'll probably talk about at least once. They're good for spells. They become kind of standardized. And a lot of them are names you'd probably recognize, but not all. Like if you expect the big guns to be in the Goesha, no, because you don't summon Lucifer. You don't summon Leviathan or fill up your living room. Um, so they're not the biggest demons, but they're the best for wizards to use and for people to summon for their dark workings. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you might recognize some of them. Bale uh, Paimon is the demon from Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Great movie. It's also very like gender gender queer ish. Oh, we'll talk about that later. Stolas. A lot of people love Stolas. I love Stolas. Yeah, Asmodeus, Demon Prince of Lust. This is that, that's from uh, Hell of a Boss. You can see how the the elements carry from the 18th century France illustration to the modern cartoon version. It looks like an Aristocat. And then some you probably wouldn't know, like Amon Adramalek. I love him. He's so cute. So cute. That's all I have to say about him. Um, they're spirituals and spells. You can buy these spells for a low, low price at whatever you pay for a hand-bound 132-page book in the early Renaissance, which is surprisingly cheaper than you might think. Uh, grimoires. We'll talk a little bit about grimoires, so let's clarify what they are. A grimoire is basically a magician's textbook. Um, some of them are mass market sensational mysteries of black magic. Even in 1650, there was a cheap paperback mass market New Age press. Um, others are laboriously transcribed by monks. Mostly, they're kind of like your mom's cookbook, which is stuffed with recipes and clippings and barely legible handwriting. Photocopies from magazines that were photocopies from magazines, photocopies from magazines. The grimoires copy each other all the time. You can pick up typos that flow from volume to volume. And those typos become actual demon names. Also, they're all written in Old English font, which is illegible, even to the Old English people. Any questions? Yes. Were you aware that there's actually a Genshin character named Paimon? 
Yes, I was. Mm-hmm. Paimon is an extremely well-known demon. Um, I mean, he does not like, like if you walk to the average person on the street and say, do you know who Paimon is? They would probably not say yes to that. But he's one of the four cardinal princes of the elements and directions. And in almost every demon hierarchy, he's like number, he's like level three. Uh, he's really up there. So it doesn't surprise me that he's in several Japanese games that kind of play fast and loose with legendary creatures. Also, when summoning, because you're talking about the big ones, like Leviathan and stuff like that, when you do actually summon like one of like the big old gods, is it truly them? Or is like, do they have like, a vessel that they show for the human form and summon so they have a like, true form? Mm-hmm. That is up to you as the author. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that one. I think it could be. Um, I don't think you should summon Leviathan because she, she will fill up your living room. Um, I've got a book that's the Gawash of, of Dr. Rudd over there. Mm-hmm. It's a magical textbook, and you can kind of see some of the spells that they use. Gotcha. Uh, it's a lot of like draw a circle, that sort of thing. It's going to be like in your basement. Mm-hmm. You're going to have killed a bird. Do not explain this to your mom. That's what they yeah. But this is like <laughs> real world demonology, and I don't want to go down that road quite yet. Um, thinking about Leonard, I mean, I think, yeah, like having an avatar, because yeah. Leonard is who comes to you if you want to make a deal with the devil or make some kind of... Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's like um, the number two. Because Lucifer's too busy. Also, he shows up at all the parties. Mm-hmm. I have a good question. I just feel like this just came to me, but uh, did Lilith, like, to make the Lilin reproduce asexually, or was there a father? Lilith. Lilith's roots go back to Mesopotamia, and originally there was a category of demons called the Lilin. Actually, the Lilitu. The males were Liliths or Lilis, and the females were Lilins. And so they were kind of this broad category of aerial demons. So before there was many, the Jewish tradition kind of filtered it down to a single entity, maybe two or three. So the idea of there being multiple demon Liliths kind of predates Lilith as a named character. But she does have uh, thousands of children. A thousand of Lilith's children die every day. That's her curse. And I don't know who the father of those is. It's probably not Samuel anymore for reasons previously mentioned. She does have a lot of kids. Later, mm-hmm. later on, she becomes the adoptive mother of a whole lot of kids. And so she kind of reverses this like baby-slaying myth to like a mother-supporting myth. It's a very strange story. But I don't know who the fathers are in most of those cases. He's busy. <laughs> Mesopotamia? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, some of the oldest demons we have date from the biblical period, so like 800 to 100 AD or so. Uh, and a lot of these demons come from the gods and spirits of the Mesopotamian region. This is uh, what is Iran now. They have a mythology going back to like 4500 BCE, a written myth history going back to 2500 BCE. So many names. I'm going to try not to summon them. Baal, Lilith, Samuel, Satan, Azazel, Beelzebub, Belbereth, Mammon, Moloch, Leviathan, Dagon, and a whole bunch more. The Mesopotamians invented blame bad things on the supernatural. That was their <laughs> shtick. They were a culture that really appreciated sex. Um, sacred prostitution was a totally valid career. The Epic of Gilgamesh has at least two sex That's scenes. That's the guy you were trying to remember. I know, I have it written down on this one. <laughs> has two sex scenes that go on for seven days. See your doctor. Um, <laughs> well, that's Sting, doesn't he? Isn't he able to tantrically like? I had never it, made that like, connection. Sting is Gilgamesh. Yes, you heard uh, it here first. There's some gay stuff. There's some gay Minotaur stuff. So a lot of later Jewish and Christian religions kind of pointed this and says this is not who we are because those hmm. faiths were birthed from the Levant, from this region. Um, Jews were originally Assyrian, I think, or Canaanites. Yes. So they come from this, and they're kind of saying, this is not us. This is not us. <laughs> um, so they get very down on sexuality because that's the background material they were coming from. Mm-hmm. Babylon is like synonymous with sexuality now. That's the area that took over when the Jewish temple fell. 
Sekhethan, Sekhethan. And that really influenced the next 2,100 years of religious thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now summoning Lamashtu. There's a huge category of demons. There's the broad, like, child-stealing, child-killing, baby-killing mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a major fixation in Mesopotamian mythology, fertility and baby-killing. These are linked <laughs> concepts. There's Complicated. This mystical obsession with childbirth and fertility, which makes a lot of sense when you realize the entire population of the world was about the population of Dallas. And DFW, you know, that region. That's about the number of people in the entire world. Reproduction was very important, and your children were your future. Um, Lamashtu was a demon, or even a goddess. She did all kinds of nasty things, but her big job was child killer. Later on, she becomes the word Lamia, comes from her name later on. Uh, to oppose her, we have Pazuzu, because if you're dealing with a child killing thing, you obviously need to summon up something with a huge scorpion tail. <laughs> um, Scans. Yeah. Pazuzu, he was a demon, but he was very popular around 700 to 500 BCE. He was sort of appeared there as a brand new character. And the theory is that Lamashtu was so frightening that people invented Pazuzu to oppose her. Mm -hmm. You can find Pazuzu jewelry all over the place. That is not a real statue, by the way. Uh, He is intimidating, though. Another frequent trope is... Not real? No, it's not real. The French, the French would have shot it off with a cannon. <laughs> um, if you want to fight a demon, you use another demon. So demons are often used to ward yourself against other evil forces. It's a common idea. There's a fan theory about the exorcist that the creature that possessed Linda Blair was not Pazuzu, because Pazuzu is never named in the book. Uh, it was actually Lamashtu, and Pazuzu was there to chase her away. Which is the reason in this theory that in the final moments of the exorcist, the wind, a wind rushes through. Because Pazuzu is a wind spell. Um, mm-hmm. It's not really a very well-supported theory, but the like pasty white female ghoul thing possessing a child is really more Lamashtu than Pazuzu. This is Pazuzu. He's not a pasty white woman. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, next is oh, ancient Judaism. Yes. Which my notes are totally out of order here. So I'll briefly. S- no, I think they're the same out of order. So, First Temple Judaism mm-hmm. dates from around 700. Before 700, there really wasn't a Jewish faith to speak of. There was just kind of its roots. Originally, it begins in this kind of nebulous, our God is one of many gods. They come together and serve the divine council, and Satan has one member of that divine council, and there are a great many voices on this council. Later on, as you get closer to like 300-ish, the Zoroastrians influenced this thought, and it's really important to have a difference between good and evil, so God is no longer friends with Satan, and there are no other gods. God is the only God that is. It, it gets different over time. Later on, um, yeah, no, that's kind of the flow of things. Um, mm-hmm. But let's go to uh, Seven Sisters. Okay, so uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Solomon's Temple, and specifically a pseudographic text called The Testament of Solomon, because um, it's a very important book in demonology. It is. It is a very important book. It also is like 700 years after the fact, but all things are true. It's true. (laughs) It's It's all true. So, Testament of Solomon, uh, it's pseudographia, so it's, you know, spurious or... Bible fanfic. um, Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's Bible fanfic. Um, There's probably some flashback about Bible. There's some flashback about Orions. (laughs) So... Typically, these texts are uh, Jewish writings ascribed to various biblical patriarchs and prophets, but composed within 200 years of the birth of Jesus. And this was written between the first and third centuries of the Common Era. 
So it tells the story of King Solomon and essentially how he exploited demonic labor to build his temple and um, unpaid demon labor. Unpaid. It's <laughs> terrible. So the text itself is rich in demonology, um, angelology, and lore about medicine, astrology, and magic. Unsurprisingly, it is uh, not considered canonical in either Christian or Jewish faith. It also has a lot of Greek influence, so keep that in mind. So like all good stories, the Testament of Solomon begins with a vampire attack. And this vampire is called um, Orneas. No? Gay vampire furry attack. Really? Gay vampire furry. So, okay, tell us more about that. I will. <laughs> Not now? No. Okay. You gotta shut okay, up first. Yeah, <laughs> what did you say I have to shut up first? No, I didn't say that. Shut up first. Okay, so this is important because he attacks one of Solomon's servants, and uh, in order to protect uh, and asking for help against the vampire, the art. Archangel Michael gives Solomon the special ring where he can summon demons and ask them to do his bidding. So with it, he calls demons one by one by name, and they also tell him their star or constellation, their zodiac, and whatever angel they have a beef with. So um, this is very, very important. So there's just like an F-ton of demons mentioned. At least 72. A lot of them female, which is also really, really interesting. Uh, um, the ones I'm going to focus on here today are the seven sisters, which are also associated with the Pleiades. So that's part of that Greek influence I mentioned earlier. And so this, uh, of course, seven important number. Um, this is common in Babylonian and Jewish folklore and in Disney movies. Seven deadly dwarves. Mm-hmm. And seven, <laughs> seven deadly demons for seven, seven brides for seven deadly demons as well. So there's such a rich characterization of the seven sisters in this work. Um, I just want to point that out. And so it's fascinating. And you can definitely, because of this characterization, imagine them having some kind of epic dish session with Andy Cohen on one of those Bravo shows. So I'm kind of paging this in that. And it's also handy that each one kind of represents some human experience or condition. So let's crack into it. So Solomon calls for another demon as he's going through his little roster. So you're, you're going to, Jacob is going to illustrate this through, okay. <laughs> through dance. I like your gestures there. So <laughs> when he calls them forth, they show up. And there came seven spirits, females, bound and woven together. They are in appearance and comely. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So um, they all crowd together in a little stack, and maybe they all fall onto a plush couch together, kind of a little writhing stack of hotness. And Solomon questions them one by one. So the first says, I am deception. I, <laughs> I deceive and weave snares here and there. I wet and excite heresies, but I have an angel who frustrates me. Yeah, his name is. Um, Lamechulal. And he's the only angel. Did I get it wrong? I don't know. Lamechulal. Anybody want to correct me? No. Maybe later. Uh, he's the only angel who can tame deception, and it pisses her off. Okay, so the second is called Strive. Mm-hmm. Strive. Can you show us Strive? <laughs> there you go. And uh, she calls uh, Barkekel a uh, suck up and 
Thank you. I have something to say about him that I forgot. Oh. Almost all of us in here are descendants of Barakal. Barakal. He's the Archangel of Lightning. Mm-hmm. And if you use the Mormon genetic, genetics database, you can trace your ancestry all the way back to him. And so you <laughs> have discovered... I'm like one one billionth angel. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> so we're so, all of you. So as Jacob mentioned, he's also called Barkekel. Bar-ke-kel. He's also called Bar-ke-kel. Barkekel. Bark-eal. Sorry. Bark, there's Barkekel and Barkeal. You can okay. be either one. Okay. And she hates him because he represents God's sweet blessings and showers them down upon people. So, <laughs> the third said, I'm called Clotted or Battle, and I cause the well behaved to scatter and fall foul of one another. And why do I say so much? Because I want to tell the truth about that coward angel Marmoraph. He is just a conflict averse people pleaser. So the fourth, jealousy, she might as well be drunk. So very good, very good. Um, she says, I cause men to forget sobriety and moderation. I part them and split them, and for strife follows me hand in hand. I rend the husband from the share of his bed and children from parents and brothers from sisters. Wait, and you know who I don't like? Were they bed together? His brothers and sisters? Let's go on. Oh, there's a lot of incest in okay. all of this. Um, and you know who I don't like? Me neither. I know. And then she probably passes out. Okay. So Power, the fifth, probably like goes over and corrects any wardrobe malfunction that jealousy has had. Yeah. And by power, I raise up tyrants and tear down kings. To all rebels, I furnish power. I have an angel that frustrates me as Astaroth. Wait. Never mind. Go on. Yes. That's a demon prince. Why, yes. And a a matter of fact. Okay. But it's clear that she actually is hot for him because Ooh. he's a fallen angel in the Grand Duke of Hell. And a goddess. The Astaroth. Astaroth. So they... Uh, yeah. Okay. Emus. So the sixth sense, I am error and I will make thee to err as I have before made thee to err. Like when it caused thee to slay their own brother. Oops. <laughs> Did I do that? I'm going to make you, Solomon, rob graves. She hates Uriel because he's always apologizing, and it's so weird. So finally, the seventh says, I'm the worst. And I'm going to ruin your life by telling you about a really stupid thing that you're going to do. (laughs) You're going to sacrifice five locusts to Moloch. It doesn't make sense now, but it's going to be dumb. This is to Solomon, by the way. Mm -hmm. By the way, she also might be Hecate. A lot of people are Hecate. Lots, lots, lots. Yeah, so many people are Hecate. Mm -hmm. So at this point, Solomon goes on a commercial break, <laughs> and when he comes back, they're all in little work jumpsuits, and they sh- as they shuffle off, he says, I bade them to be industrious, and with one murmur of joint protest, they began to perform the task in joint. Thus was the making of Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple entirely built by demons. Yep, and lots of them yeah. female. Yeah, that's true. All y'all. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, oh, and it was destroyed in 600. If it ever existed. <laughs> destroyed. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so then, what? All stories are true. Stories it was are, actually destroyed. All stories are true. There are no, there's no archaeological mm-hmm. evidence of this particular story. <laughs> it was destroyed in 600, which is the period where the Babylonians took over and the Persians took over and Zoroastrianism kind of infected all of this and it led to some like strong need for epic Tolkien level storytelling and epic good versus evil and apocalypse is where the world ends. Everybody flies up to heaven and things like that. It really changes our thinking because now we are in the territory dominated by the Left Behind novel series. Um, 
also true. There's this strong change in this period from our God is one of many gods to our God is the only option. And a lot of angels, a lot of gods become demons. One kind of interesting thing about this is that a god that becomes a demon usually becomes a very big demon. Like they, they have some staying power. Also, Satan becomes like not God's friend, but becomes God's enemy. He's not kind of our irritating servant, but he's someone that will kill us sometimes. Um, it has to be put down for a thousand years at the end of a thousand years or something like that. Let's click the next slide. There we are. Mm-hmm. I was going to put on a slide, but Asmodeus there. He's the demon prince of lust, and he's Solomon's kid by the roof-dancing demon yes. Agrat Batmala. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. That is all I know about that story. Mm-hmm. Um, Beelzebub. There are a whole lot of demons with Baal in their name. Baal, Baal, Bathor, Baal, Gor, Baal, 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 Baal. Uh, it's, a, it's an old word meaning chief. And it's basically what the Canaanites called all of their male gods. Baal became sort of a long-term grudge match with Yahweh, um, the, the Christian god, ultimately. There's some really nasty family fighting going on because they're both El's kid originally. Uh, it goes up and down in the Bible that way. The way the story goes, there was a local regional god, probably Baal which means chief of the great hall, so chief of heaven. The Hebrew tribe in the area started kind of throwing shade on him. They called him Baal-Zebub, which means chief of the dung heap, and it stuck. <laughs> There's a really good story about uh, Baal-Zebub later on. This is written about 150 AD. It's the Testament of Nicodemus. And in this story, Jesus has just died. And then the next day, there are zombies walking around, and people are saying, hey, zombies, what are you doing? And they said, well, Jesus is getting up in a few days, and we're up too. It's fun. Um, <laughs> There was a few. There was a few that were there to like prophesy. Like they were specifically saying, "This is going to happen. We're a part of it. That's why we're up right now." Go and look at that hill. It's going to be empty in a day or two. And then later on in the story, Jesus goes. Well, okay. So we're in hell, and Satan is bragging. He's okay. You'll never guess what I did. I have killed God's son. It's awesome. He's going to be here soon. So cool. I tricked everybody into killing him. It's great. Um, there's a lot of anti-Semitic stuff that goes on there. Let's not get into that right now. Beelzebub looks at him and says, so, you, th- this guy, uh, this guy that can resurrect the dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. You killed him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're bringing him here to the land of the dead. <laughs> yeah. You see a problem with this? No. So Beelzebub <laughs> takes Satan to the gates of hell, kicks him out, and Jesus storms up stomps over him and goes into hell. And Beelzebub says, hi, Jesus. I just gave you Satan. Are you happy with that? And Satan, Jesus says, yes, that's great. Thank you so much. You're a region king of hell for the next 2,000 years. I'll be back later. And he flies away with all dead people. Um, so in a lot of old stories, Beelzebub is the king of hell and more powerful than Satan because of this little scene where he basically kicks Satan under the bus. It's a good story. Um, and that's what Jesus was doing between Good Friday and Easter. Now you know. <laughs> all stories are true. Mm-hmm. Ornius. Ah, oh, gosh. Ornius. Okay. So there yeah. is a weird trope of lion demon engineers. And I think Ornius was the first one. So he was working on Solomon's uh, temple building site. So he's kind of got this engineering tie there because he was, you know, one of the builders. And there's some weird, queer stuff going on with him, too. It's, it's not very comfortable making. He's on the side of the temple and he's stealing people's lunches. That's his thing. He's called the half eater because he steals half of people's lunches, but he also drains their souls through their, through their thumbs. <laughs> and specifically, he confesses to Solomon. He likes to turn, he turns into a man who preys on young, effeminate boys and hurts them when he touches them. There's a lot that's unusual here. Kind of the pederasty angle is strange and unsettling. 
That a demon has sexual desire at all in a story is kind of odd. If that is what it is, it's hard to say. And I think it's maybe tied to kind of Leviticus era, anti-Greek, anti-that sort of gay situation. Like there's a lot of like anti-Greek hate coded to Leviticus, and this is probably part of that. And the suggestion he has this dark drive and he's incarnated as a man, I think that's very strange. I don't know what to make of it. But that's Ornius, and there's like eight other lion engineers. I think they're all versions of Ornius. Azazel. There he is. I love Azazel. Mm-hmm. Azazel is the king of the hairy goat demons. And he invented duck lips. And he invented duck lips, yes. Mm-hmm. He's an interesting artifact of this kind of split between like polytheism, Judaism, and strict monotheism, Judaism. Because in the Yom Kippur rituals, the tribes would go and they'd take two goats and they'd throw some dice. And the one that won was sacrificed to Yahweh. And the one that lost was all of the village's sins were laden on him and he was given to Azazel, mm-hmm. which is simultaneously the name of a mountain range nearby and possibly the name of a demon, uh, the demon of the wilderness. So there's kind of this dualistic moment of like God saying, give this to the demon. Like this is a command from God to honor Azazel. Is that the scapegoat? Is that where the scapegoat came from? It is. That's the ritual. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. This is the scapegoat ritual, actually. And also it kind of honors our dark sides, too, like our mm-hmm. shadow selves. That's important, too. Oh, so in Jesus Christ Superstar, and therefore the, old, the New Jesus. Testament, uh, there's a scene where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, and he goes in the wilderness, this person knows, because it's the Bible, and it's written after the fact, that he's going to be the scapegoat for all of man's sins, goes in the wilderness, and he hears the voice of the devil there. And I, I think that's Azazel. Other people think it's Azazel, too. Azazel was kind of like the first Satan. And the idea that he's going in there and hearing this ancient voice echoing like 700 years later is really, really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, medieval spiritual porn. <laughs> so the medieval period was not a great period for demons. It was a great period for hell. There's lots of fantastic hell journeys um, ending with like the um, Dante's Inferno. There are no major hell journeys after Dante's Inferno because you couldn't top Dante's Inferno. <laughs> um, but it's also just not done anymore. So it was a bad time for demons. They just weren't that active. But hell was a very exciting place. And I think one of the reasons that the demons weren't terribly active is that God had stomped Satan into the ground. Um, This is the period that we on our podcast refer to as the Gimpy Satan period. You find Satan tied up. Lucifer is bound under a mountain, and he has thousands of horrible legs and thousands of horrible arms, and he's kind of just tied by chains. Or he's a broken figure. Or in Dante's Inferno, he's like, buried to his waist, mindlessly chewing sinners forever. This is a ineffective Satan, a Lucifer that cannot do much to you because he's bound and tied because God has won. Um, and the demons have a little bit of freedom here. Demons become very funny during the Middle Ages. Um, you get situations where like a village makes this pact with the devil to build a new bridge and Satan comes, I will build a new bridge and the first soul that goes across is mine. And the village priest says, okay, and sends a chicken over. (laughs) That sort of thing. Devils were kind of funny. There were fart jokes in Dante's Inferno. And Satan was not that frightening. This is a very up with Christianity, up with people time. And it's not the dark ages from like a religious perspective. It's it's not a bad period. It's trapped between two very dark periods. But it itself is not a bad one. And I think part of that is because Lucifer is seen in the metaphors as being helpless. God has won. Mm -hmm. There's no struggle there. But I have a note here that says babies and cruet. They were the first Hot Pockets. 
Okay. That's why that's there. That logically follows. <laughs> um, later on, Lucifer becomes kind of a romantic anti-hero, but that's like the romantic era, like 1700s, and there's a lot of change that happens between here and now. Um, because Christianity's mythology is going to expand in a very big way when we get to the 1600s. So what's next? Oh, oh Lucifer. Um, bored. Yeah, that's from the Inferno. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's very Freddy. The Reformation. This is a time when Christianity decided that Christianity was horrible and started attacking itself viciously. And a time when demons started thriving, because whenever there's a religious strife, there is demons. That's why we have so many today. So the, a couple of major changes. 1450, the Gutenberg Press. Suddenly, print was available to many, many people. It was distributed, and then by 1600, 1650, there was a mass market paperback press in France um, where you get a lot of these books, more or less, um, things like them. So literature was cheap, and particularly like spiritual literature and New Age stuff and occult stuff was cheap and sensational and fun. Uh, It just circulated wildly. But the Protestant Reformation took place in the mid-1500s, and suddenly there were multiple churches with disagreeing stories, and they were declaring that each other was wrong and of the devil. Yay! So in Germany and the northy areas in Scotland, this huge witch hunting craze where people are given like very big manuals of like all the ways to find witches and kill them. And people are accused of flying through the air on brooms covered with baby fat. And there's the witch trials where people have sex with Lawrence. No. <laughs> Leonard. Leonard, Leonard. Yes. <laughs> Sex with Leonard. And the Knights Templar. The Knights, Leonard. the Knights Templar worship a golden statue of Bahamut between their gay orgies and black sabbats. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you take my thumbs out of those thumb screws, I'll tell you everything you want to know. I'll be happy to sign a statement. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, in the Renaissance era, back to back this time period, there was this deep upsurge of classical literature, including a lot of this Jewish stuff, Greek stuff, which was translated from Jewish stuff, and this blast of interest in mythologies and demonology became quite exciting all of a sudden because people were reading the Testament of Solomon and it was being out there and it became very profitable to make lists of demons and say that your list of demons is the best and brightest. And these lists of demons are given to publishing presses and the nobility would buy them. And so you'd have to make a better list of demons than the person that just Made that list of demons. Um, and also, this is science <laughs> at the time. <laughs> science was just metaphors piled on top of each other. The occult was legitimate science. So, yeah, this is research. It involves sacrificing birds and summoning Lucifer Raphael. Lucifage. Lucifage. Lucifuge Rockefeller. Yes. He's got a pointy hat. looks just like Leonard with a jester's hat. Um <laughs> So there's a very weird moment here where you have two very different ideas of demons. You've got the crazy like witch hunt trials in the north, and then this kind of we can work with these things. That's okay. Let's just make a useful step-by-step manual and go for it and sell it to the knights. I think a demon that represents this very well is Ronnie, uh, who is another lion engineer, and I kind of help but notice that the name Ornius is very similar to the name Ryan. Oh. Um, I think he's a perfect snapshot of this time period because he's he has two or three special powers. He's good at blessing books. That's a very specific thing. He's good for consecrating books. It's also a goetic game, by the way, if you're interested. He knows an awful lot about witches and where to find them, and he will happily share that information with you. Also, he's an engineer, and he knows how to make like fortifications like that. Propaganda-wise, he's a knight. He's a lion. These are both noble symbols. Uh, he, wore, he had a sword. He had a horse. He had a crown. Grimoires were written for nobles at this time, and you kind of see elements of this 
story unfolding this one character who's like this witch hunting noble figure. And I think he's kind of hot as well, but I'm a furry. Um, you know, I was whispering to myself, I'm going to this up later. <laughs> uh, this, this is Roin. Uh-huh. Um, I guess I can pause for questions because we're going to France next. Yes. France Any questions so far? Yeah. Um, Krampus is is the um, the one that you had mentioned Azazel? 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 Uh-huh. Is he maybe related to Krampus, the legend of Azazel and Krampus. Well, all the goats kind of flow yeah. into each other a little bit. Azazel, he sometimes suggests being related to the Leonard um, because, like, the occult goat. Now, there's a lot of anti-Semitic stuff woven together with goats, and this is like a complicated yep. cluster myth. And um, Krampus may be associated with that, although he's kind of goes through like the Northy North and the a goddess of the night of the New Year's resurrection sort of thing. So mm-hmm. except that all kind of goats flow together <clears throat> through the Jewish slash Satan path. Through Pan. Through Pan, yeah. I don't I don't know if there's a direct mm-hmm. connection. Like you couldn't say A B C D, mm-hmm. but you might it's be like able a- to say A B two A two B two C thing and their myths kind of overlap a little bit. I don't know how far you want to backtrack, but when you were talking about the seven sisters, yeah. does that correlate to the seven deadly sins and cardinal virtues? Um, the seven deadly sins were written by a probably a monk in like the 1400s who really needed to create a hierarchy of hell. The number seven is very important in underworld mythology. It goes back to Mesopotamia. There are like seven gates to get into hell. That's mm-hmm. really, it's a very powerful number, but I think it's just a number that echoes throughout occultism. And in Arthurian legend, like some well. of the names. Of the yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of. Oh a- yeah. The biggest name demons do uh, turn up later on. Uh, Ashtaroth becomes a prince later on and is a goddess back then. And um, uh, Demon Prince of Lust, Asmodeus, is a Solomon demon who mm-hmm. is also one of the seven deadlies. And he's in Hell of a Boss, uh, has a musical number in Hell of a Boss, great character. Um, so, yeah, the number, they do overlap. But I think the seven deadlies is not tied directly to the seven sisters, except that seven is a powerful number. But they do connect to the seven dwarves. That's true. <laughs> My question was related to, so the original angels, instead of looking like the Raphael paintings or whatever, looks like these kind of animal hybrid things are having like the top of their heads and Terrifying. stuff. So, <laughs> but they seem to have some kind of symmetry to them, like symmetry is sacred, whereas like the demons are like asymmetrical in their designs and they'll have like, they'll have like different heads on either side instead of like aren't that many descriptions of demons. Um, I think there's some really good descriptions of angels in the Bible, and you get, like, the wheels that you're describing. Yeah. Uh, that's There's seven orders of angels, and some of them do look like people in blonde people in dresses, but others look like kind of crazy whirlwinds or divine beasts, and yeah, they do have a lot of symmetry to them. I just think there aren't any descriptions of demons that are canonical, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but crazy serpents and things like that. So you can make a case. Demons are animalistic and ugly, frequently, mm-hmm. and that can... Asymmetry is a major form of ugliness. The beautiful thing is that you can make them into whatever you want them to be. They're kind of like the granimals of the <laughs> supernatural. <laughs> just from the seven is powerful, negative, positive, or just? Just powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there are seven layers of the underworld in the Mesopotamian mythology, but that's not an evil place. It's just a place. 
And then 777 is also considered an angel number. When you go into that step mm-hmm. as well, you have like 222, one, and then 777 is one. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's the number of God. Oh, okay. So, kind of going back to the Divine Comedy, uh, Dr. Alighieri, uh, wasn't it true that like most of the people that he found in hell... He put there? Yes. <laughs> they, were, they were essentially his enemies. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is very common. Like in apocalyptic literature, people would just kind of throw their enemies under buses. It was fun. Um, yeah, it was, it was a treat. Yeah, I mean, he did put a lot of his enemies under there. But a lot, also, you know, in, in his defense, he gave a place that was not hell for pagans. That's kind of neat. Like he was the person that first said, let's just let pagans in limbo now that it's empty. That's pretty cool. He let Muslims into limbo. That's really foresight. That's that's impressive for like a 1300s Christian. We go to France. Yeah, let's go to France. Okay. So <laughs> in France, so there's this boom of occult publishing in um, France. There's a concept called the blue grimoires. They're really like sensational grimoires, and the name blue grimoires is from the blue paperback books that were published in the 1600s. Cheap mass market stuff. Sold at like these salons and things like that. Three plus one people would change demonology forever in France. And I don't necessarily think in a good way, but in a way. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start with my hero, Alexis Vincent Charles Brigouard de Terre Nueve du Tim. <laughs> Got it in one. Mm-hmm. Um, he is crazy. Um, he's a schizophrenic, but this did not stop him from writing an epic 850-page autobiography, which describes in vast, tedious detail the persecutions he's experienced at the hands of demons... The goblins, he calls them, Les Farfadet. And like Dante, he puts all the people he doesn't like in this demonic hierarchy. Um, he creates a hierarchy of hell that involves like bakers and butlers and the grand pantler and the chief eunuch of hell grand and pantler. Mammon, who is the ambassador to England. It goes on and on and on. <laughs> we learn from ABCBDTVTM that demons will fly up your butt. So keep it plugged. Um, <laughs> Later on, he goes. He tries to burn every copy of his biography he can after some therapy. So I think he agreed with me on a lot of things like this. Um, so about the same period, we have. Can you hold up the Infernal oh. Dictionary? The Dictionary oh, Infernal. Just God. one. Just one. Okay. Oh God. Um, so almost any of the kind of pretty line art pictures you see demons are from this book. The first edition of this was published in 1816, I think. At the exact oh, same time, those were not in the original. Those were in the Kickstarter. Um, so in 1816 the first edition of this came out in the 1820-ish version there's a note saying we found this guy his name is Bergior he's kind of interesting a little bit crazy we think he's eccentric and also he incorporates every single thing from Bergior's biography into the Dictionary Infernal which is this massive dictionary of like myths and things like that it doesn't say where it's from so the Plancy's dictionary it's a huge resource for like preserving a lot of folk myths and things like that. And a lot of the names would not have survived in the century without him. Like most of the demons that rattle off today, they would have died a long time ago. So they're kind of held in here in this kind of stasis. But um, in the 1868 edition, he got an illustrator, Louis Le Breton, who was very whimsical in the kind of Alice in Wonderland style of whimsy. The beautiful landscapist, but also he did these wacky pictures of the demons. They're very whimsical. And 
you know, these are these don't really match up with anything that kind of came before them. They're just things that he thought were kind of interesting. Um, I love that Lucifer's the only like normal looking one. Like usually, like everybody else looks normal, and Lucifer's like this like godly thing. Nice thighs. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, he's yeah. just like a pouty child. Like, they're like, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. There's Paymon at the bottom. Remember that picture later on. I'll use it. A lot of animal things under my life. I don't know where the donkey, the peacock tail came from, but it's like thick layer of whimsy just kind of lit. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think there was actually a tarot card, like a card set of these illustrations. Yes, really? they're, they're in the public domain. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful, they're beautiful. My, my dress came undone. Oh, no. Um, it's, it's a beautiful set of, of illustrations. Yeah. But I feel like it's, it does a lot to change what people think of demons, um, particularly my, my hero, Bure. Oh, my hero, Bure. Um, <laughs> So Beer, I just think he represents this kind of sh- weird shift that happened in France. Um, he doesn't really have a description. He's described as appearing in the sign of Sagittarius. Sagittarius is a centaur. Um, and then that was like 1700. And then in 1800, he's described as being a Sagittarius or a centaur. And then this happens. He's described as being a lion pinwheel that humped a sunflower. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says in the book. No, it's not. Um, he's... But he's an interesting character. He's good at healing and herbs and medicine. He appears. Uh, can I fix that? Oh, sorry. He appears in Disney's uh, Owl House, and he <laughs> kind of becomes the poster child for weird ass demons. Um, you can see him here on the uh, Satanic Sneaker Campaign by Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X, yes. Um, Blood. And he's just kind of like used as like a a, uh, a placeholder for. <laughs> This is uh, lifehacks.com, how to summon a demon. Um, one more, I think. So I've done some research on him because I'm obsessed with it. And he is tied very closely, I think, to the myth of Charon the centaur, who has the same kind of portfolio, and Charon's sign is Sagittarius. So there's this kind of connection between the two. Um, but then he becomes a lion temple, which doesn't make sense anymore after that. <laughs> So another influential person from this period, this is actually an American scholar. This is author Edward White, who New York to London. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the Rider White Tarot. A lot of very influential magical texts are by this guy. He also said, hey, all this stuff in the Dictionary Infernal, that's all true. Everything is true. So he blessed all of the weird, <laughs> kind of carried it forward in the century, and a very influential occult writer but I think he did a disservice to a lot of really otherwise fairly normal demons. Anyway, that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All this totally legit. And so Burbigore's weirdness was canonized right there. And suddenly hell had a butler and a grand eunuch. I don't know. And a, a pantler. A person who handles the buns. Is that that's what a pantler is? Yes, the person who handles the bread. Pan? Oh, okay. Totally. I thought it was like ant. What's next? I don't know what's next. Oh, modern, modern era. Mm-hmm. So demons are still evolving today. We've got about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. The 3,000-year-old god Nurgle, who was one of the first Satans ever, is now the god of disease in Warhammer 40K and <laughs> appears as a villain on the Grim Adventures of Bill and Mandy. Uh, Pazuzu appears in The Exorcist and reawakens a huge surge in exorcism. Exorcism was a dying art until The Exorcist film came out. Thank you, Pazuzu. Uh, Zozo, who we talked about earlier, is the demon of the Ouija board. Um, and there's this massive spiritual warfare movement where people are casting out demons all the time for fun. And modern demonologists tend to be demons as like tools and cuddly companions. And I think I want to close most of this chatter before I jump into some favorite demons and any questions on Bahamut. Bahamut is a fairly new demon. Eli Levy, I think, created him mm-hmm. in 1850. The name comes from 
Behemoth and Muhammad, and he turns up in the heresy trials of the Knights Templar around the 1350s or so. But no one really believed that. That was just something that was extorted out of Templars during the witch trial type things with more thumbscrews. Um, but in Eliphas Levy around the mid-1800s, this is another French artist and occultist, created this image. And Waite and Crowley and LaVey and a lot of modern people embraced it. And I think it's a very interesting, this is a, this is a fabricated demon. But he's created to be like a balance between good and evil, the dark moon and light moon, and animal and human, and male and female. And it's, it's like a, an occult golem almost, this kind of construct. But he's also been kind of adopted by the modern satanic temple as the image of like a cult intellectual. And he, ser- he celebrates this kind of rational, cerebral demonology that challenges society and society's kind of Christian values and assumptions without necessarily embracing a religious thing to replace it. I think his artificiality and ties to heresy kind of lend itself to this. Also, he is an interesting kind of GBLT avatar character. I say he, I probably shouldn't, because they're they're a balance between things. They're an alchemical hermaphrodite. They are male and female. And I think that as an avatar of this, they kind of say you have the license to create your own symbolic self because he was a symbolic self that was it. They was a symbolic self that was created Mm -hmm. to represent this kind of alchemical balance. Demons are fictions. They're not historical, really, but they transform and are repurposed over time. And a lot of this is to kind of give you, like, the grammar of demons so that you can kind of break your own and make your own and things like that. I have a note here that says counter-hegemonic demonology. Yes. So, um, especially in the book uh, Satanic Feminism, Lucifer and the Liberation of, of Women in 19th Century Culture, there's the idea that initially, like, the hegemonic idea is that women, through their association with evil, with Satan, um, that led to uh, it being okay to subjugate women. But in the 19th century, sort of a embracing of um, kind of Satanist imagery by certain uh, intellectuals and artists, female intellectuals and artists, and even actresses, there was a, a kind of counter-hegemonic idea of evil and of Satan and of demons. So, just, you know, like that can be inspiring to sort of create a counter hegemonic demonology. People are embracing their inner Liliths. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were so pretty. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I think after this, we just have some, some favorite demons, but we can pause for like retrospective questions mm-hmm. now. Uh, what, what is the definition of hegemonic? What is that? Oh, sort of the, the, the dominant culture kind of creates. Uh-huh. Uh, the stories and the cultural understandings that then are used to kind of keep everybody in line. So that's essentially, it's a very basic. Yeah, patriarchal. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Obviously, Christianity is still a huge part of history of America and everything. But now that it's kind of slowly losing its grip over time, do you think, at least with that, like, like especially like with queer creators and stuff like that, do you think that demons are kind of evolving into something much more different? Like, like they're taking the Christianity, but do you think they're kind of going in a route that's a little bit different? Well, I think Christianity is going to be having its ups and downs for another few thousand years. Yeah. But I do think that people are more able to kind of like look at the alternatives and say, you know, this is a useful symbol for rebellion, and I want that to be a part of me. We're, I think maybe there's less of a desire to, like, rush in and embrace the entire, like, cultural meta-myth that's handed to you. And demons can represent a point of spiritual rebellion that's still mm-hmm. got some classical antecedents that go way back. I mean, they feel like living creatures. They are gods. Some of them are gods. So, yeah, you can kind of look at these creatures and say, this is the rebellion that I need to embrace. So I think that, I think they're part of a changing story. 
And I think that what they are is changing a lot as well. Like they aren't just evil now. They are, um, there's a, a fairly strong demonolatry movement in occultism. It's a legitimate occult path where people are like treating these things like familiars. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a rebellion of a sort. It's saying the standard structures don't work for me. I'm going to have a pet Asmodeus. Or Brewer. Some of us do have a pet Bjork. Mm-hmm. Yes. I guess some favorite. Oh, Lilith. Lilith is important. So the story of Lilith as Adam's first wife is actually pretty pictures next. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot about those. Uh, some of them are not pretty pictures. I know. <laughs> I noticed that. Um, a gig there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of Lilith being Adam's first wife is not biblical canon. It's actually about 700 AD or so in a satirical book um, called The Alphabet of <laughs> I don't think that's called what the alphabet called. of <laughs> um, the alphabet of Ben Levy, and uh, in this story, Adam, uh, so Lilith and Adam are created at the same time from the earth. In some versions, Adam watches Lilith be created, and he freaks out because it's kind of horrifying. In other versions, Lilith is upset that Adam wants to be on top, metaphorically and physically, and she leaves. She just she steals the four-letter sacred name of God and runs out the door with it. And God has sent a team of angel lawyers to drag her back. This is a satire. <laughs> um, so, like, the story of Lilith being the first wife is actually from, like, a, a kind of dark comedy book. It doesn't mean it's not true, because everything is true. Later on, in about 1100 or so, the Kabbalah, as a work of, like, concrete mysticism starts being, like, published mysticism starts being a big thing. And in that, um, the story of Lilith, Adam, Eve, Samuel, Aleph, Bat, Malat, Nama, their sister, this complicated, like, um, weird poly thing in the Garden of Eden. There's some nice stuff in there, like, Eve is freaking out because of, like, her marriage responsibilities, and Lilith gets her beauty secret. It's really nice. (laughs) That comes from there, and there's a very complicated story where, basically, the world will end. This is a happy thing, if you're a New Testament Christian person. The world will end once Lilith's status as the other woman is is resolved somehow. Mm Like, she is yeah. heaven's other woman, and that has to be resolved before the world can end successfully. Remember, that's a good thing. But she's also this kind of nightmare symbol of, like, everything man is afraid about in women. And Eve is kind of the, the mother figure. Lilith is also a mother figure. She's the mother of all demons. So these are, like, twin mothers, and they're both Adam's wives. So it's like, Adam's like, what choices should I make? I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the picture, the kind of cartoony picture, well, the other kind of cartoony picture is from a, uh, an exorcism bowl. Lilith would get lost in the spiraling lines of that and get stuck, and uh, that's her in the middle. She always has really crazy hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Marvis. Uh, another lion engineer, of which there are about 20. Um, Marvis is a personal favorite of mine, and I don't think it's a good reason, but I think his thing is that he's into shape-changing, engineering, mechanical arts, and handicrafts. And I think there's an untapped story about a demonic lion shape changer that turns men, specifically men, into steampunk mech animals. Uh-huh. That's a story I'm writing in my head. Um, they say he turns men to other shapes, and that's probably a gender-neutral man, but not in my story. Anyway, I'm done. Okay. Sulak. Sulak. Um, this is the Mesopotamian toilet demon. Is that xenomorph? Huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, just saw the xenomorph in the side. Oh no, he's a lion. He's a lion. Or she, I don't know. There's a big class of demons in Mesopotamia that lurk in alleys and pounce on people. They they infest dark areas. And this one is specifically the demon of the bathroom because the bathroom was a very dangerous place. (laughs) Uh, He's also kind of associated with disease and things like that. 
Um, there's so many like pictures of him with de- with another monster to kind of drive him off. There's a long tradition of toilet demons and toilet monsters. Harry Potter has one, but this is the first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gemory is one of the very few strongly female spirits in the Goetia. She's still described as a him, but always is like this pretty duchess. And she's also got elements of Hecate in her. You can see the kind of the moon crescent thing there happening there. Mm-hmm. She's a duchess on a camel. And Paimon is a slender, effeminate duke on a camel <laughs> wearing a crown. So there's some theory that he and Gemory are kind of gender-swapped alter egos of each other. And I think that's just kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Furfur is next. Furfur. I like Furfur because of his name. Furfur. Furfur has a fun Austin tie-in, which you don't get very often of that. There's a local game company called Steve Jackson Games. And he published a, that company published a book called In Nominee, the role-playing game, the epic game of angels versus demons. And in the one game, tabletop gaming write-up of Austin, night music from that series, Furfur is the demon prince of hardcore music. Um, and he tries to take over his, he tries to ascend to princedom, I think, during South by Southwest. <laughs> so he's a very Austin Good thing. Luck. I think the next one is just, I think it's funny how demons evolve over time. This is Nibirius, who has a three, he's a three-headed dog. Um, but um, this, this is what happens when the French get a hold of Cerberus. <laughs> but, but he's a marquee now, and that's nice, and he teaches science and rhetoric. Um, yeah, thank you. Anyway, that's, that's the presentation. We have some resources that we'd like to talk about. Um, Y'all can, y'all can stay and fondle these books with me if you'd like. Um, Belanger's The Dictionary of Demons is a fantastic book. I cannot recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. Evil Incarnate, Rumors of the Demonic is that we have there. This is a um, satanic panic through the years. It's really interesting that things that people were saying about witches and demons and the RPG scare in the 80s are exactly the same as they say in 300 AD. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Um, the History of Hell, which didn't bring with us, is a very good book. It's a very approachable book on the history of how hell evolves over time. Mm-hmm and that sort of thing. Please come over here and look at the books and things like that. There's a lot of them. We also have uh, cards for our podcast, The Dispatchist, a friendly podcast about health. Um, we're stuck in Irish mythology right now. We'll be struggling through that for the next two, probably month and a half or so. We just have one more. You think that. Um, <laughs> and again, a lot of this material will be on The Dispatchist slash WGD Writer's Guide to Demons. Thank you all. Please yes, take a card. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for all of y'all's This is my hero gallery. I'm not obsessed. Yes, I didn't bring This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.